0: Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive.
1: Good morning, and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, uh, Bruce Swainer. Rachel is still out. Uh, raising her family. And today we have a special guest, uh, Joe DeFazio. And Joe has actually been a friend of the, uh, the podcast for quite a, a while. And now we consider him a good resource for us on a variety of topics. And Joe spent about a decade working for Northwestern Mutual and he has a, a very impressive, Uh, educational background, uh, both from Penn State in uh, economics, and then a variety of different um, certifications that he has worked long and hard on to establish. I believe Joe, um, from, from my observation, really excels in planning because of his analytical approach to things. Unlike most people that dive into economics, Joe is actually personable. And Joe can actually um, have a conversation with people, so he is the he is a perfect blend of academic and implementation as far as I go. So Joe, uh, welcome to the show, and uh, thanks for doing this today.
2: Yeah, great to be here. Uh, you guys produce a lot of great content. I'm just happy to be a part
1: of it. So Joe, why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey, like? What, where did you grow up? What were you doing? What inspired you to go to Penn State? What inspired you to go to econ- in the economics and in your career up to this point?
2: Yeah, sure. I grew up uh, in the suburbs of Philadelphia, uh, Pennsylvania. Um, why Penn State? Uh, actually, it was probably at one point to, to a love interest went or, or aspired to go. So uh, I, I was ahead of her in grades, so I decided I should go there. Um, that That never worked out but uh I, I was all the better for it i uh I didn't actually fall right into economics that was the last degree i pursued <laughs> um, I went there for oh man almost anything under the sun it was uh computer science engineering maybe i s t uh finance for a little bit uh i I just happened to end up in economics because i <laughs> that's where all the uh collection of, of credits landed me to, to get me out the soonest. so uh, my, my career I started as an advisor, uh, actually more more athlete, a, an insurance agent first uh, for one of the big Ford and um, yeah, I, uh, I worked their system for about a year and a half, maybe maybe two years or so. I wasn't having great success, so I, I decided to step down. Um and be more of a, a planner in a support role for several advisors. And uh that kind of spurred on my my love for finance and the financial services industry. Um just the analytics, uh, as Bruce uh aptly put pointed out, um really got me going. I, I really enjoy diving deep into a plan and really trying to, to find like the puzzle pieces that are missing. So uh a lot of fun for me. Um yeah. And uh, eventually I got to the point where I realized I've played enough roles with that company that I, I wanted to start my own firm and kind of branch out. And uh, I've been going through that journey for the past roughly a year now. So it's a, it's been a wild ride.
1: And uh, tell everybody where you're located now and what you do in your free time.
2: <laughs> free time, right? <laughs> uh,
1: right now I'm I'm in
2: Pittsburgh. I travel between Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, and uh, Metner City, New
1: Jersey, back and forth,
2: number of times a month. So,
1: yeah, I'm always uh, when I talk to Joe. I talk to him quite often, and and it's like uh, where's Waldo? You know, where is he? Where is he right now? But um, he, he's uh, you're going to enjoy this because we're going to dive into uh, um, our second half of our annuities uh, section that we started last last week and um you know joe and i were talking before the before the show and you know maybe maybe people don't even know what an annuity is we we briefly touched on it at the very beginning of the show last time and you annuity is actually a a a phrase that the insurance company uses um to actually take care of your money and there's different types of annuities. You can have even more guarantees with certain annuities. You can add riders to them to, to increase those guarantees. You can have a variable annuity that can not have any guarantees, but it uh, with the uh, account balance, and it can have some guarantees that you add to it. Um, but really what most people are looking at annuities, they're looking at them for safety, both safety of the principal. And there, and more so, what we're going to talk about today is safety of cash flow in the future, and the pros and cons of that. We actually believe that um, everybody should at least consider um, the the possibility of using an annuity to guarantee some of their cash flow in the future. Why? Well, there's the there's the mathematical reason to do it. And then there's the emotional reason to do it. And I, I get, I am not very happy really when I hear people bash on annuities because they say, well, you know, the, the stock market historically has outdone uh, whatever an annuity can produce over, Joe and I were talking about this before, over a 30 year period that's been rolling for 100 years. And we're gonna dive into this a little bit more. Uh, That doesn't mean over a a shorter time period, you can't not lose a significant part of your portfolio if you're in stocks, bonds, mutual funds, or in, in a significant case, you can actually lose everything. And so when a person puts this in front of a person and says, oh, don't do an annuity, look at all this mathematical things over the last hundred years, if you just are patient, then you don't have anything to worry about. So they're taking the emotional part out of it, and I think that's doing the person a disservice. But Joe, as you you know, as we all know about Finra, you know Finra is actually softening their uh, view on annuities now, and I would say that the big thing nowadays is a fiduciary responsibility having. The client's best interest in mind, not your interests in mind. And that is the big thing with people that are asset under management. They say, Look how, look how pure I am. I'm only going to get paid when you do better. And if you do worse, I actually get paid worse. So I have to have your best interest in mind. And I tell people all the time, that's interesting because if you're an asset under management person, you obviously have faith that you're going to grow the money and you're going to get paid 1%, 1.2%, 1.5%, in some cases, 2% to do this. So every month, you are having all your portfolio either grow, slightly decline, or stay the same, and you're getting a per- a paid a percentage of that every month. Monthly cash flow. What does that sound like? That sounds like an annuity to me.
2: Because you're, you're getting
1: yeah. <laughs> so you're getting you're getting an annuity off the people that you're telling that annuities are bad. So there's been a lot of uh, regulation things which I'm not really happy of. But anything that can actually uh, make the insurance industry uh, better with regulation. Um. B, so that the insurance agents uh, industry has to take this same fiduciary responsibility. It's not exactly the same, but um, it's very close. Actually, is going to help the planning industry. Uh, I believe help more people actually not lose money and be able to sleep at night. So, the first thing I think we want to do, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull this up. And I know people can't see it on, you're listening to this podcast, but if you're watching YouTube, we can actually talk about this. So we want to briefly consider um, a small part of two phases of annuity and four types, then pick up with the index annuity, which is, I think, one of the most popular annuities now for a reason, because I think it's kind of the Swiss Army knife of annuities. Uh, as a fixed product for accumulation that can be annuitized and used with other writers to, to spin off income. So, annuities in general are looked at as an alternative to the stock market, although a variable annuity, which we're not going to talk about in this particular podcast, we, ta- we briefly talked about it in the last podcast, is an annuity that actually has a equity portfolio that can go up and down, up and down, but it is actually run by the um, insurance company and has a death benefit. And but with the, the ones we want to talk about um, we'll briefly talk about this, and then we'll go into some riders and try to uh, bring out some of the complexity. So Joe, this was a, a graphic that you brought up, so would you mind, uh, you know going over your graphic?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, just to kind of level set here, the, the annuity, I don't know if everyone caught the definition there. Um, it's a, it's a private contract, uh, that completely transfers the risk of outliving your money to the insurance company in exchange for a premium payment. Um, and the insurance company uses bonds and layers on actuarial calculations, actuarial science that pulls the risk so they can guarantee an income stream as long as your contract um, specifies. So these annuities, they do have two phases. You can see in the, uh, well, I'll try and describe it for those that can't see. Um, There's two phases. The phase one will say accumulation and phase two is annuitization, Um, two types. So uh, the accumulation is where you're building your account value. And the annuitization is when you exchange that cash value for a specified income benefit. Um, During that accumulation phase, there are two general types of uh, annuity contracts, fixed and variable. Fixed, you can think of like a, um, maybe like a CD or an individual bond you're holding where it pays interest for a set period of time. And then maybe there's a maturity and you have to roll that into a new uh, contract. The variable contract is open-ended, as as Bruce just said, uh, where your your premium dollars, your account value is invested in sub-accounts. That's that's a lot like um maybe mutual funds in your in your 401k. There's a there's a specific list of mutual funds you can choose from. And um within that they, they fluctuate in value, and so does your account value. Uh now the annuitization phase. There's um, there's three major choices you have to decide uh, on the on the screen we highlighted one of them which is your benefit timing uh, where you can say when you want your benefit uh, the next most logical thing is how do you want to receive your benefit and then what type of guarantees do you want on that benefit uh, so the the line in the sand for when you want to start receiving your benefit is is one year so within 13 months it's going to be an immediate Annuity classification after 13 months, it's going to be a deferred annuity classification. How you receive your income, you can choose either a level payment, you can choose an increasing payment, uh, or you can choose a variable payment where it's tied just like uh, that variable accumulation is tied to the index, like an SP 500 or something. Um, And then lastly, you got to choose what type of guarantees you want on the duration. You can choose none which means as soon as the person who purchased the annuity passes, the income benefit stops. You can you can tie that to someone else in a survivorship uh, uh, um, benefit. You can choose a specific period of time. You want it for 10 years, whether you live or, or not. Or you can say, hey, you know what? I just like the idea of returning the premium. So if I didn't get my account value back, I want whatever's left to go to a beneficiary. So yeah, there's uh, two phases. Within the first phase, there's two types: fixed and variable. Uh, Within the annuitization phase, there's three major choices: when you want to receive your benefit, how you want to receive it, and what guarantees are associated.
1: Yeah, that's an awesome. That's an awesome um, description of this. What I found, Joe, is a person's idea of an annuity is often tied to a SPIA because this is, this is the um, description that most people have with, with an annuity, which is a possibility, but I've been doing this since the eighties and I've never had anybody that I, um, after I explained it, wanted, wanted to actually put their, their money into a single premium immediate annuity. And for our listeners, um, there's benefits to that. And there's, um, there's costs to that. So let's talk about the first thing uh, that everybody has to realize when they're an- analyzing where they're going to put their money into any financial vehicle or, frankly, any kind of vehicle. I mean, even if you keep your money in, in a drawer at your house, you have to keep this in mind. The three things are safety liquidity and growth so let's talk about take the liquidity and growth with with ten thousand dollars stuck in your kitchen drawer is it safe for the most part but as a guy that actually uh, lost his entire house to a fire and actually had silver in a cabinet that luckily survived uh, but i don't think paper would have survived uh currency um because paper burns at 451 degrees and my house fire was estimated to be uh over 1800 degrees. So that is one thing it's it's really not safe. Is it liquid? Of course, maybe too liquid. You're leaving the house, you just go over to the drawer, you just grab a, a couple hundreds and you walk out. Does it grow? Well, we know it's not going to grow. Absolutely not going to grow. So you do that with any kind of financial product. Let's just do stocks real quickly. Is it safe? Well, we all know it's not safe. Is it liquid? Yeah, it's relatively liquid because you can sell the stock and have the proceeds in a couple of days. Is days. Does it provide growth? Over a certain time period, um, it can provide growth. Let's talk about CDs. Joe mentioned a CD. Is it safe? As safe as anything can be, um, there is FDIC. Um, backing of this Federal Depositors Insurance Corporation. Depo- uh, backing of this. However, the United States government doesn't have near enough money to uh, protect all this. So, but it's still safe because they will just print more money to to pay this. So now we're devaluing it. Um, is it liquid CDs? Actually, are liquid. though a lot of people say, "Well, wait a minute, I got a three year. I can't touch this." CD for three years. That's not totally true. In most cases, a vast majority of the cases, all you have to do is um, give up the accrued interest that you've earned on the CD, and then you can get your principal back. And then, of course, there is growth because there is a stated yield at the very beginning. So, you can do this with all kinds of things, even like a real estate property. It's safe for the most part, but 2008 showed us that home values were not safe. Uh, Is it liquid? Well, not really, because you got to go apply to get any of your your equity out of it. And does it grow? Once again, over a period of time, uh, real estate has grown immensely. So SPIA now uh, takes advantage of that, a single premium um, immediate annuity. So it's a single premium. Immediately, you're going to start getting uh, income from it. It'll depend on your gender, and your age and whether you want it to be a single person or a joint person. You give it to the insurance company, they have actuaries that look at your your gender and age and and the economic conditions of the time, and then you're immediately going to receive income from it. The catch is it's going to be the highest possible monthly uh, payout that you can get. But on the flip side is if you, do die before you get all your money back. And as far as um, cash flow, the insurance company, as Joe already stated, pools the risk. So it goes into their pool of risk and your heirs would not get any of the what is ever left over. So a lot of people are, are uh, confused. They're like, well, why would anybody do this? Um, like I said, over my career, I've, I've had nobody that wanted to do it, but the cases that were trained to, to look at this is somebody that is really running out of money. They have only a small nest egg available and they're, they're way up in age, 85 years old, 86 years old, whatever the age, but they're way up past mortality. And they're trying to decide how much more do I have in me as far as years of life? And so now they have a very small nest egg and an, and an insurance company would then give them a higher rate of return, a very high rate of return compared to what um, you could get in any other financial product. And, it's, and there's certainty there. So most people compare annuities to that. I found, Joe, I don't know if you found that, but they say, well, look how these big bad insurance companies are just gonna keep your money. Well, none of what we're talking about today is a single premium immediate annuity. We're actually talking about um, annuities that do have a death benefit. And so if the account balance does grow, um, that will be passed along to the next generation or whomever you want to, charity or whomever you want to. Uh, this is quite different. Now, I will give them that a lot of times the income rider will actually uh, dwindle the account balance down, depending on whether it's variable or fixed. Um, And then you may not have the certainty, not the certainty, you will have the certainty that you'll have the cash flow, but your account balance, um, because it is not invested in whatever you wanted to invest. So like, yes, you couldn't just take into a Bitcoin, for example, and hit a home run, or you couldn't get into Amazon for, for a single stock and hit a home run. So there, the likelihood that it could outdo an equity portfolio is not as great. However, the equity portfolio has risk also that, that may not be able to produce the cash flow. So Joe do you want to add anything uh, from your experience on how people view annuities
2: um no no that that's that's a really good summary um I think yeah when when most people think of what you just said single premium if they're going to buy it or if you say the word annuity some people will will immediately think pensions
1: or their social security benefit Mm -hmm. um but yeah and just to let the audience know, pensions uh, are a type of annuity. I, I worked really closely for many years with the Missouri State uh, Teachers Pension here in Missouri, a wonderful pension. And we were always trying to figure out for the family what was best. Should the person just take a single life payout or should they take a joint life payout? Now, when you're and the annuities work the same way. When you take a joint life payout, you're you're protecting two lives, so the payment is actually less for you going for uh, forward. And in most cases, pensions do not have an account balance. Now, the Missouri State Teachers Association actually does have an account balance because not only does the state contribute to the pension system. The teachers actually uh, contribute to the pension system out of their paycheck. So they're entitled to any of the money that's left in their account balance upon their death or pass pass to the joint survivor, if they would like that to happen. So when you're looking at that, then social security has no account balance. Um, You can actually, there are occasionally, commercials on television, where you're going to get a settlement uh, from an insurance company because of a um, an injury that you uh, um, uh, had, and you're going to get a big lump sum. A lot of people would say, hey, uh, I'm just going to blow this big lump sum, so I'd like to give it to a company, and they're actually going to annuitize it. So, that's more like a single premium immediate annuity. Um, some people will actually kind of do what I would call a reverse annuity, where they have an income stream from somewhere, usually from a settlement, a legal settlement, and they don't like getting just $1,000 a month or $1,500 a month. So they'll sell, the, they'll sell the, the, that cash flow to somebody for a lump sum. So these are all related to how annuities actually help a pe- people um, in their financial lives. All right, Joe, so let's go next, because I have a couple of other things that I want to present to our YouTube people. Let's go next to what we believe is a good use of an annuity and the personality style of a person that might consider it an annuity. So in your planning, yeah, from your planning all these years, what kind of person could benefit from from looking at an annuity?
2: Um, could benefit. I would say uh, almost everyone should e- explore this for themselves. Um, when when you take into account um things like sequence of return risk or or um, you know how your portfolio performs over time, whether it's going up and down. Um, you know most people are invested in bonds or you know by way of bond funds, so bond mutual funds or bond indexes those are our mark to market so they fluctuate quite a bit as interest rates move uh if you find your portfolio has those this is this is something you should explore um if you have CDs or individual bonds also you should consider this because um what what you know for example bond funds what they they lack is uh the ability to mitigate um you know equity volatility so that is your equities tend to fluctuate a lot more than your bonds. Uh, bonds are added to a portfolio to dampen that impact. So your, your most common you know, reference might be a, a 60-40 portfolio, where 60 percent is going into stocks or equities, and 40 percent are going into to bonds or debt. And when you blend those two together, you get a, a, a smaller range of returns. So you're not feeling the huge roller coaster ride. Well, if you're using bond funds, the the roller coaster ride can get pretty pretty wild. Like, take a look at the last couple of years where bonds dipped just as much as equities. Um, annuities don't don't suffer that that um, that issue because it's a guaranteed income stream. It's there for uh, you know to support your lifestyle regardless of what the, the market's doing because it's based on mortality credits. And interest rates, not the market. Um, So, uh, you know, anyone who's, you know, uh, I forget which company actually produces this uh, survey, but um, I think almost every year they'll say that some of the happiest retirees are those that have guaranteed income uh, because it's not relying on the market to produce their lifestyle.
1: EY, EY, Ernst & Young is very famous for doing that. And this is an independent survey. Ernst & Young does not sell annuities. Nope. Um, but I think everybody knows that they're one of the largest consulting firms in the world. And so they do a survey of the general population. And it's overwhelming how much more satisfied people are. I think the last time, and don't quote me on this because I'm going by memory, but I think the last time uh, people people that were happy in retirement, 79% of them, when I say happy, I mean, are living a happy lifestyle and they can sleep at night, 79% of them uh, had an annuity. So that means 21% that were happy uh, didn't have annuity. Now that, that percent probably has more money than they, can, than they can spend. So the bottom line is that annuities are moving more into the forefront of the American people. And uh, um, right now, uh, Fritz actually on, uh, thanks Fritz, because he's a longtime listener. He actually asked us, so are annuities all, are they tied to the market? Well, yes and no. Okay, so um, if it's a variable annuity, yes, because that particular person has decided in the accumulation stage and maybe in the distribution stage to stay in the market. So they have made that determination. Um, but if you have an index annuity or a fixed annuity, because it's actually called a fixed index annuity, um, you might get credited on your account balance because of an index, but you I tell people all the time, your personal money, you can't think of your personal money as being in the index. The insurance company is going to credit you according to the index, but they're not required to put the money in the index. So you don't really have like a sub account like you do in a variable annuity that you control. You have a contractual obligation with the annuity company that says, here, here's my money, whether you do it in in the accumulation phase whether you do it with a single or an oncoming contribution or ongoing contribution, and then contractually obligated, the, the uh, annuity company is gonna say with an index annuity, we are gonna credit you according to the index, but we can do whatever we want with the money. Now, obviously they're gonna invest some of the money in the index, I would, I would think, um, or at least portions of the index. And then, whatever that index is during that particular time period for the crediting, and it could be one year, point-to-point, what they call point-to-point, or the day that the the, uh, contract goes into force. So let's just say August 1st, and then one year, excuse me, let's back up. On August 1st, if you selected the index, let's say the S&P 500, one year to the next August 1st, that index can do whatever it wants. It can go up and down, up and down, up and down. And then on that particular date, then whatever that index is up or down, you will get credited at the upside, but not you will not participate in the downside. So your actual account balance will stay the same. Now, if you're going to get all all of the upside and none of the downside the insurance company wouldn't win and so because the risk pooling just wouldn't work that way so what they do is they have a variety of ways to cap you on the upside and that's the trade-off and this is also what people will mention all the time the why you shouldn't do an annuities cuz if the if the stock market goes up 25% you may be capped at Ten percent. You only get ten percent of the upside, but remember, you're not participating in any of the downside. So, so Fritz, I hope that kind of answers your question. It's a very good, very good question, and we're going to go to some examples of this just a second. Joe, uh, go ahead.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, just um, we're using uh, the stock market. um, Just, just, just keep in mind, we're using that as the index we're talking about for the index, the fixed index annuity. Keep in mind, we're doing this for income. It's a fixed annuity. It should be compared to bonds and CDs. The Very unique good. feature here is we get the exposure to the to the s and p five hundred, for example. We get the exposure to that. So we're not going to see all the returns of of the equity, but it's it's you know the downside is minimized because they're using options so you don't experience the 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 negative. Uh, aspects of, of equities. So, when, when you're, we're talking about this, although we're talking about equity-like returns, just just remember we should be comparing this to CDs, individual bonds, things like that. Um, just just want to clarify.
1: No, that's that's a great clarification. Another thing to clarify on that is, insurance companies will not even allow you to put a large portion of your portfolio, your net worth, into annuities. Because even though even they know that that's not what's best for you, they know a portion of your net worth to go into annuities, and why? Because we have liquidity problems with annuities. Okay, so before we go there, Cole, remind me on the liquidity problems of annuities because we have a couple more questions that come in. So uh, Fritz asks again can Can you speak a bit more on the credits aspect as you mentioned? I want to understand what exactly is the insurance company attaching the guaranteed values with. So, Joe, I'm going to let you talk a little bit about how they can guarantee um, through actuarial science and risk pooling the credits. So, you want to touch on that a little bit, and then I'll go to the next part.
2: Yeah, sure. So, um, it's it's uh, if you're familiar with life insurance, um, they use the similar mortality tables, uh, whereas they'll they'll take. The average life using the law of large numbers. So they're they're collecting data on thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people over time. And they'll say from birth to death, and they'll plot that over 120 years and say what's the probability any one person of a thousand would pass away when in year one? And the same thing in year two and ten and all the way up to yeah, I think right now the current table maxes out at 110. So they assume no one's going to live past 110. So once they have that in, that information, they can say, "Okay, now we know what to charge so that we don't run out of money to guarantee the income." If they do, it's their that's their risk that they accept. it. They're, if they screw up the math, it's on the insurance company to keep paying you. So if you live to 115 and 120, good for you. (laughs) Keep you on the game. Um, But they'll do the math to say, we're going to take the average person, maybe maybe a 40-year-old male, and they'll say they know roughly, using the law of large numbers, how many will pass away at any given year. So they get to spread that out to level off your, your payment. For the rest of your life. That's why they can guarantee it. Those are called mortality credits.
1: Um, I, I, does that does so that I, answer the question? Or so I, I think it does. Now I'm going to go to <clears throat> Fritz. Want to know a little bit more about the crediting? So um, if you have a fixed um, a fixed annuity, just a fixed annuity, then that crediting is just an interest rate driven um, crediting. So think about it like a CD. So the insurance company at that economic situation on that year, they're going to say right now, we can offer you a a 5.5% annual crediting in a form of interest. And we will guarantee it for a period of time, maybe five years, and then they will readjust it after five years. But you can you have to have it in there for 5 years because there's there's a variety of ways that insurance companies get paid one of the most common ways is they actually have a surrender schedule and so a surrender schedule means that you're not your account balance isn't going to have any fees coming out of it however if you leave before 5 years there's going to be a percentage of your principal that they're going to be able to buy law because it's a contract to maintain at the insurance company. After five years, there's no longer a surrender fee, and you can take your principal balance and you can move it somewhere else. Or they can re-up it and say, okay, now it's not 5.5%, it's 4%. And you can decide in the economic situation do you want to keep it with that company? Or, or I shopped around and I can f- I found something else out. So that is, that is how the credit works on a fixed um, index annuity. I'm sorry, with a fixed annuity. With a fixed index annuity, you actually take your account balance and you can take all of it or portion it out to different indexes that are offered by the insurance company. You can't pick whichever one you want. It's whatever is offered for that particular contract. Then on that anniversary date, which is, is the date that you put the annuity in place, the, every year on that same date will be your anniversary date. And like I said, they, whatever that annuity contract is, your money is not in that particular uh, index, but the insurance company is, is going to credit you Based upon how that index did. So if that index went up by 20%, we, we, may, we may get 20%, but in most cases, there's going to be a cap or a spread or a participation rate. And a cap is the easiest one, and they can actually combine the two. The cap is the easiest one to understand because they're just going to cap you at a certain percentage. And that, and that, Cap is only good for one year. They can reset the caps if if the economic environment changes. And you want them to do that because you're in the risk pool. They're pulling, you're pulling your risk. You want them to be able to adjust how much risk they're taking because they are giving you a guarantee for the rest of your life. The participation rate says whatever the index goes up, let's say it goes up 30% but then you only participate in a percentage of the upside. Let's say 60% of the upside. So now they take 30% times 60% and you, your index crediting is 18%. And then the final one is a spread and think of a spread as, as you absor- absorbing the first part of it. So if it's a 2% spread, if it goes up by 1%, you do not get any crediting. It's just like if it was zero. You actually have to get over 2%, but like, let's say it goes to 4%, you don't get all four, you only get the first, you only get the last 2% after it gets over 2%. That's the spread. And they can combine the two. And I'm not going to go over every one of these alliterations, but, you know, they can say there's a 20% cap, but you only participate in 60% of the 20% uh, cap. So there's all kinds of are uh, the spread, you get the spread, but then you only participate in 60% after the spread. There's all kinds of alliterations that you can do. So um, just remember, it's a contract. Joe brought this up at the very beginning. There's no gotcha moments in insurance. Um, I I think everybody on the podcast knows I'm a big proponent of insurance, whether it's life insurance, whether it's car insurance, whether it's homeowner's insurance, whether, whether it's umbrella coverage. I'm a big proponent of insurance. There are no got gotcha. if you. If your next door neighbors say, "Oh, the insurance company screwed me," more than likely is that you they just did not understand what was in the contract. Now that may be up to the the agent that didn't didn't explain it to you, but the insurance company did not screw you in most cases because in the contract it's a legal binding document. It's the most legal binding document for a sophisticated society. You know, Nelson Nash used to always say that he's like, life insurance is a contract. And people say, well, what if they change the contract? Like, what if uh, Congress says life insurance is no longer tax-free? Well, that means they'd have to change every contract that, and that, that we would just get into the chaos because people would say, how can you do that? You know, this was a legal binding contract, and contracts are the lifeblood of a sophisticated society. So we have a few more. Um, oh, Fritz asked a really good question. If you had a choice between using dividend paying whole life and annuity, which one would you choose and why? You only have one choice. Fritz, I know you try to put me on the spot here, but um, <laughs> I hate to tell you this, but it depends. Um in most cases, if, you, if you're a fan of the show and Dr. Wade Pfau has actually done research on this and he actually sh- shows the benefit in most cases to having both. And it comes down to sequence of return risk. And Joe actually talked about this a little bit, referenced it, uh, I've referenced it before. It's really important that in your equity portfolio, when you're drawing income off of the equity portfolio in a down year to actually have a place where you can grab safe money so that you do not have to put stress on your equity portfolio to provide even more hurdle of getting over the what you lost in the market that year and what you normally take off for your lifestyle because let's say you normally take 5% off and it goes down by 10 now the market has to not only uh, rebound ten percent. It has to rebound another five percent to get you back to even. Well, if you have a place where you could take that five percent that is not subject to market risk, then that allows your equity portfolio to rebound easier. Where can you get that? Well, you can get it from that drawer in your kitchen that I talked about earlier. Uh, but there's no more. There's there's a lot of risk there, and there's there's no uh, trust. Or chance for it to increase, or you could use a whole life contract with cash value and you could borrow against that cash value for that, those particular years when it's down. We probably ought to do a visual, uh, in the future about sequence of return risks because Joel, we were, <clears throat> we were talking about this. Don't you think that's the one thing that most financial planners don't deal with a sequence of return risks? And it's, it's maybe one of the most important things to deal with.
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, and if, if, if it does come into the conversation, normally, at least my experience, normally it's in the distribution phase, like maybe, maybe in retirement, they're talking about exactly what you just said. Whatever you do, do not liquidate your portfolio in a down year. That's, that's, but they, they forget anytime cash flows change, you're introducing sequence of returns. So, you know, when your, when your equity declares a dividend, well, that's a cash flow. If there's interest, that's a cash flow. If you add money to your, you know, uh, 401k, that's a cash flow. Um, it's it's prevalent the entire time you're you're, you know, trying to invest here.
1: Great. So in the last 15 minutes, I'd like to actually pull up for our YouTube viewers an actual fixed index annuity for one of my clients. And show it, but now we're going to actually talk about some of the riders you can put on that particular contract. And right now, because of, because of interest rates being higher, the risk to the insurance company is not as great as it used to be when, when interest rates were lower in the bond rates. Now, why is that? Well, if they're going to make guarantees, they're going to put a majority of their money into guaranteed places. And in most cases, that would be um, bonds, a variety of bonds, uh, government bonds, corporate bonds, so on and so forth. So, as we now have inflation because uh, the Federal Reserve has increased uh, interest rates, that actually is beneficial to insurance companies. Well now if it's beneficial to insurance companies they're they're going to then pass that along to consumers why because they're in the business of making money but and the more money they can make or excuse me more money they can attract the more money they can make i bet everybody listening to this understands that it people say well if i only had 100,000 dollars or if i only had 500,000 dollars i could do this with it These entities are the same way. So they're trying to attract more money in an economic environment where they have a lot more safety and a lot more yield from these bonds. Well, it's a spectacular time because insurance companies are now giving you bonuses to your account balance if you move the money to them. So let's start with this particular, as you can see at the top here, It's called a fixed index annuity with a lifetime income benefit rider. Now, Joe, you've been doing this a long time. That particular thing can be called a variety of things for the guaranteed for your life. Some 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 companies call it a guaranteed withdrawal benefit rider. Some people call it a um, lifetime uh, benefit rider. All kinds of different things. Uh, Joe, do you have a question on this? Yeah.
2: For for the for the viewers right now, we're if you remember that little diagram we had, we're in the accumulation phase, and we're in the fixed fixed hybrid section. So even though we're going to talk about income, this is this is a rider on an accumulation phase annuity, not an annuitized uh, account balance. Just wanted to
1: correct. We're not going to annuitize this. These are going to be riders on it. And the one thing, and this gets a little complicated, and I apologize for our listeners. There's two things, and it right here offering a stream of guaranteed lifetime income through a lifetime income benefit writer. The account, the income account value. This is very important to understand. With these type of annuities, you have an account balance and you have a a balance that they calculate the income on, they are not the same. Think about the account balance as being actually your money. Think about the income account value or what some people call a benefit-based account value as being a phantom number that the insurance company has calculated that they're going to guarantee you income off of for the rest of your life it'll make a little bit more sense in a little bit. Kathy was 62 years old. For our listeners, you know, there is a sweet spot of when you would actually start an annuity. And for the most part, I would say it's somewhere at age 50. I do have a couple of clients that are looking at it right now at age 40, because there are some benefits of doing it a little bit earlier, especially if you're looking at it for a, a bond replacement. So you would not put the income rider in that case on it, but we're talking today about cash flow now, not as a bond replacement. So Kathy did a $1 million right away because this particular annuity company wants more capital. They gave her a 10% bonus on that $1 million. So her account value, day one, goes to $1.1 million. So congratulations, I just made Kathy $100,000 by putting her into the annuity. And people are shocked about this. They're like, how can they do this? Believe me, insurance companies are experts at risk management. So they know what the, the, the bond portfolio now can support this for them. We actually have an income payout for her at age 71 of 7.2% of her income account value for the rest of her life. We are going to defer that income. This is what Joe is showing you on a chart. We're going to defer that income for eight years. And when we do that, the income of account value is going to grow each year by contract for a maximum of 15 years or until you turn on the income. So you're in control. You're in control if you want to turn the income on. The only only thing contractually with this one is you cannot turn the income on until after the first anniversary year. So you, you have to wait one year. How much is it going to grow this income account value? It's going to grow by 7% every year. So, the rate at which the income account value grows is going to be uh, 7%. And it, gets, it, it grows on each anniversary date. Then, with this one, we'll, we'll just briefly touch on it. <clears throat> she will get $137,025. Yearly for the rest of her life, or eleven thousand four hundred nineteen for well-being. A lot of insurance companies now are putting well-being or chronic illness riders on their annuity contracts, so that if you do go into a nursing home and you can only do two of the six um, foundational things of daily living, they will actually double the income uh, for five years. It is available for additional fee if that's what you want to do. Okay, now let's get to. This is probably the simplest chart for me to to show people. So this is your income account value. Okay, this is not your actual account value, but your income account value. And I'll go to the account value here in just a second. So every year. This is going to grow by 7%. Okay. Then we decided from talking to her that in, after year 70, which would be, at, she's actually going to be close to 71. You can see on the screen that the benefit base payout increases every year. So the longer you wait, the more you get. Now, I tell people all the time, they don't do this out of the kindness of their hearts, okay? The actuaries know that if they can incent you by giving you more payout and delaying it, that they actually, the likelihood that you're going to run out of money, thus they go into their risk pooling pool of of capital. They, they are not going to have to go into that risk pool. Well, if they don't have to go into that risk pool, guess what happens to the payouts? They actually increase. It's simple actuarial science. So in this particular case, she gets 7.25% or $137,000 a year. If she waits one year, she would get another approximately $12,000 per year. Now people say, well, why wouldn't I wait? Well, remember, you went a whole year without getting the hundred thirty-seven thousand dollars, and you, and what's what are you getting for that? You're getting another twelve thousand dollars a year, so that's going to take about thirteen years for you to break even on what you gave that gave up at that hundred thirty-seven thousand dollars. So once again, that's a pro and con situation. You may you may give it up, uh, or you may say no. You know what? I want to start this income stream, even if you don't need it. Because now you could actually use that income stream to put into another cash flowing investment, to get a cash flow off of that, and now you have two cash flowing investments that you're using your guaranteed money to actually purchase. So there's all kinds of strategies you can do that way. Okay, now this is the final thing I wanted to talk talk about today, just to make sure everybody understands the difference between, and by the way. This is on a guaranteed basis. And that means that you never make any crediting like Fritz was asking about. And now we all know that has never happened in the history of any of the indexes, but they're just trying to show you how powerful the guarantees are. So even though your money, this is your money here, end of the year contract value actually runs out from a combination of taking income over here on the right of one hundred thirty-seven thousand, and the fee involved in that income, and no market returns, your money runs out at age 76, But they're showing you contractually you will continue to get money for the rest of your life. So this is a really important thing for people to understand. They're actually showing this, and if they're using the word guaranteed, then what that means is lawyers. We're in a litigious society have decided that they can use the word guarantee and then the final one just to uh show you on a non-guaranteed basis that they're getting a very they're using a very modest 1.59 percent. your money does run out but it doesn't run out till age 79 and then there's a lot of other Things Well, they'll show you the, the best 10-year period, worst 10-year period, and the most recent 10-year period. And they'll show you the probability of you having money left over if you were to die during the distribution period. So if, oh, well, the last thing I wanted to, I know I said the last thing a couple of times now, but uh, <laughs> here is the fee. If you do not put an income benefit rider on, there is no fee. There's only a surrender schedule, but here is a fee. It's funny. A, a lot of the asset under management people say don't do annuities because they're too expensive. Well, a 1.2% asset under management fee is kind of normal. And so this is, this is a fee that's very normal in the, in the financial services industry, but I would argue you're getting a lot more for this fee because you're getting guaranteed income for the rest of your life. All right, Joe. Um, that was a lot to put in. And I know we both prepared even more. Uh, maybe we'll, we'll drill down on some more specifics in the future, such as sequence of return risk. Cause I think we can do a whole show on that. Um, and then, you know, some people, are really trying to figure out the landscape now going forward with their equity portfolio. It's nice that some people are doing whole life insurance and whole life insurance can get you some tax-free income in the future, Um, and there's guarantees there. But those those, uh, income guarantees are different because they have a growing uh, death benefit that they have to guarantee on that risk pooling that you don't have to do it on the annuity. And then my last thought before I let you um is that insurance companies right now are in a great financial position and they're passing on that those things to attract you to them. And once you get into this contract right now, even if interest rates go down, they actually have to pay you according to the contract that you signed. And people, are, people ask me all the time, how can they do that? Because they tranche off the different levels of how much they have in that particular risk pool. So they'll say, okay, we're going to offer this product for a hundred million dollars. And once it's over, we're going to actually reevaluate where we are in the economic cycle. And they might bring it down a little bit instead of getting Seven point two at seventy, they might go six point eight. I don't. Know, I am not going to under, uh, claim to understand the details of the actuarial science, but I understand the concept of the actuarial science. So they're trunching off the different risk pools for each individual contract. All right, Joe. Any closing thoughts for today?
2: Uh, I two things. One, I forgot to mention. I apologize. Um, annuities, unlike life insurance, there are there isn't. Um, medical underwriting requirements. So uh, I, if anyone can remember the, the death benefit, the legacy. Very good. This is, this is an interesting way to get uh, more of a guaranteed death benefit if you can't qualify for uh, a traditional life insurance policy. Um, and the second piece, um, the it, it's really important to understand that this contract, by contract you are absolving yourself of that market risk. This, this contract isn't, uh, it, it's more driven by the mortality credits and guaranteed interest than it is market based performance. Uh, all of the, everything we referenced in terms of the market, it's, it's a, uh, like, like, uh, Bruce was saying, it's a calculation for this, this income account where they're figuring out your benefit later on. Your, your money isn't susceptible to the same risks as being placed in the market. And oh, one last thing. I guess just be mindful of the costs. Although in insurance, they're they're usually very very plain. They're in the prospectus. They're in a lot of the illustrations. We'll put a, a tabular form of how many what each rider costs and such. But just make sure you understand where the costs come from
1: and uh, how they're being paid each year. So very good. And uh, and Fritz has one last question. He said, "How do you compare the cash flow from that from the equity markets?" Well, I would always say, "Yes, potentially could you take at seventy? Could you take seven point two percent off your equity portfolio and never run out of money?" Potentially, you could. That's not what normal people in the planning world would would push it to. Normally, they do calculations like this all the time. Um, the normal one for for a long period of time, has always been 4%. 4%. They they pushed it down during the low interest rate environment to 2.8%, and now they pushed it back up closer to, I believe, 3.8%. So it hasn't got back to 4%. What I find interesting about that is they say, this is what you should take off to give you the best chance of not running out of money. Well, if you're always fluctuating that during a, a market cycle of 10 years or five years? And is it really a good benchmark to make sure that you don't run out of money? Or I actually, I shouldn't say make sure, um, decrease the probability that you're going to run out of money. So then Fritz, I would say to you, you're getting 7.2% from the insurance company You probably can't take 7.2% off of your equity portfolio and not really risk running out of money. So, thanks to everybody today for listening. We are trying to do more educational things on other parts of finance because whole life should be a part of your financial picture. We believe, we do not believe it should be everything about your financial picture. We focus on it for a variety of reasons. One is, uh, it's very difficult to, to have a discussion on specifics about equity p- without the podcast being scrubbed and be subject to FINRA regulations, so on and so forth. Insurance regulations are different. So we can st- if we stick to insurance, we can do it on a broad, widespread voice. If you want to talk more specifics about your equity portfolios and planning, we can do it on a one-to-one basis, but we can't do it out there in the general public without it being scrubbed, and we don't want to do that. The other thing is, we do. We just believe that the more financial education you have, the better that you can be at becoming your own financial advisor. And the one thing, though, that is a benefit to having a financial advisor is to actually protect yourself from yourself, changing your goals midstream, letting emotion take over having somebody there to slap you upside the head metaphorically and say, no, this isn't what we agreed with or agreed, agreed upon. You were you were certain that you wanted this direction. We can change a little bit, but let's not lose fact that we have a goal and we're gonna point ourselves towards that goal. So thanks everybody for listening. Thanks for the questions. And in closing, remember success leaves clues. So model of the successful few and not the crowd,